welcome to Astrophiles, where the universe is your playground and space is accessible to everyone. Welcome back to Astrophiles. Uh, this is Mickey, your host, and Kimberly, your other host. Um, we're very happy to be back and recording episode four, if you can believe it. <laughs> yeah. And today, Mickey did the research, and we're talking about dark matter and dark energy, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's super crazy. I'll just say that up front. The bottom line is this stuff is nuts. <laughs> and I'm excited to share what I've learned about it um, doing my research. Yeah, and I bet there's a lot of misconceptions and things. So I, I haven't done much research because I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. So awesome. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, I can um, dive right in. I figured I'll just tell kind of set the stage a little bit about um, what we thought we knew about the expansion of the universe. Um, and I guess just, yeah, I'll, I'll set the stage, talk a little bit about what we thought we knew, and then I'll launch into what we discovered in the late 90s. And then I'll launch into kind of what dark energy is, and then I'll talk about dark matter after that. And it'll all come together in the end. <laughs> awesome. Sounds perfect. Okay, perfect. So, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story about what we thought we knew about the expansion of the universe and how we were completely wrong, per usual. <laughs> oh, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> the exactly. plot twist we never saw coming. Yeah. <laughs> Get coming by now, since I feel like every few hundred years we're like, oh, all of what we thought we knew was wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... Let's go back in time to the 80s or even the early 1990s. If you were a scientist or an astrophysicist in the 90s, you would have been completely certain that the universe's expansion would eventually slow down and most likely even reverse direction. And why is that? Because at the time we were thinking, you know, the universe is filled with matter and matter is everything we can observe. Um, so basically like all of the stars and planets that we've seen. And all bits of matter are attracted to each other via gravity. So the thinking at the time was that the universe's expansion would be slowed down by that gravitational pull of matter to matter. And eventually that gravitational pull would not only slow down the universe's expansion, but would eventually reverse it and turn it into like a collapsing motion. Mm. And everyone thought that was true until 1998. What How happened? Did I not even know this. I guess I was just totally absent in the 90s. <laughs> yes. I like, well, I was 10, but not really thinking about space. Although I did want to be um, an astronaut as a child. Oh, yeah. That's like a classic childhood dream for oh, sure. It's like that or becoming a veterinarian or something. Yeah. <laughs> classic. Um, so, what happened in 1998 to change everyone's minds? We launched the Hubble Space Telescope. <laughs> and you might be wondering, why am I talking about Hubble when we're supposed to be talking about dark energy? But they're related. So we launched Hubble in 1998. And the Hubble provided images of super, very distant supernovas. And we were basically getting a glimpse of the rate of expansion of the universe hundreds of millions to billions of years ago. 
And by observing these super ancient supernovas, we noticed that the universe um, in that picture was expanding at a slower rate than it's expanding today in contemporary times. So in other That's words, amazing. right? The expanding universe was not in fact slowing down as was believed to be the case until 1998. Um, but the expansion of the universe was actually accelerating. <laughs> and so everyone's minds were blown and all of the scientists were uh, wrong, but they quickly got on it <laughs> and started doing some math to figure out, you know, exactly what is that delta or change between um, the rate of expansion, you know, several billion years ago to now. So what we know now is that about 400,000 years after the Big Bang, which when you think of the universe's timeline, the universe is about, I think it's like three point, uh, no, I'm sorry, 13.7 or 13.8 billion years ago, somewhere in that range. So when we think of that lifeline of the universe, around 400,000 years after the Big Bang, so very early on in the universe's lifetime, the universe was expanding at a rate of what's called 42 miles per second per megaparsec. So that's a very sciencey measurement. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. If you're not well-versed in what the heck a parsec is, let me tell you, because <laughs> I had to look it up. So basically, if you were to look at an object that is a megaparsec away, that would be about 3 million light years away from you. The universe's expansion would make that object 3 million light years away look like it's moving away from you at a rate of 45 miles per second, which is about 151,000 miles an hour. Wow. 400,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe was expanding at 151,000 miles an hour. Again, very early on in the lifetime of the universe. But now today, the universe is expanding at a rate of roughly 163,000 miles an hour. And so the rate of expansion is faster than early on in the universe's lifetime. And spoiler alert, scientists still don't know for sure why this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to get some interesting insight with all of our new technology. So oh, I hope so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I feel like now we have better instruments that can collect the type of data we need to really understand what's going on there. It's fairly exciting, actually, because we could learn some really crazy stuff in our lifetime, basically. <laughs> it's already changed over the course of our lifetime, in fact, so. Yes, totally. And that was a little over 20 years ago, right? So already in our lifetime, you know, there's some crazy revelation happened of like, oh, in fact, the universe is not going to slow down and collapse in on itself. It is speeding up. So let's figure that out. <laughs> Um, so basically, there are three main theories that could explain this increase in the speed of the expansion of the universe. Those could be like option number one, there's some kind of cosmological constant that could be causing an increase of speed. Option two is some funky energy fluid thing could be filling space. And option three is maybe Einstein got it wrong and we need a new theory of gravity that explains this. Um, I'll get into each of those three options as well, but scientists really don't know which of those three theories is the right one. But even though they don't know which is what's going on, they refer to whatever the thing is that's responsible for the increase in the speed of expansion of the universe as dark energy. So here we go. What is dark energy? <laughs> we don't know much about it. That's again, just the name that was given to whatever this mysterious thing is that's causing the universe's expansion or inflation to speed up. And we know how much dark energy exists in the universe because of that rate of expansion. And it is a lot. 
it looks like about 68% of what's in our universe is this dark energy, mystery, fluid force thing, whatever it is. So we're totally surrounded by it, whatever it is. It is everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And if we think of like, okay, a hundred percent of whatever makes up the universe. So 68% of that hundred percent is this dark energy. 27% is dark matter, which I'll talk about next. Um, or in a little bit. And then that remaining 5% of what is <laughs> what the universe is made up of, that's normal matter, which is everything we've ever observed in the universe, like stars, planets, our own solar system, the whole Milky Way, the Andromeda galaxy, which we talked about in our last episode, literally everything we've observed is only 5% of our universe. That's insanity when you think about it, <laughs> because that's what we base our entire lives on, mm-hmm. really. Totally. On five percent of the universe, <laughs> yeah. And even when you think about, you know, not even just our solar system, but the Milky Way galaxy, of the five percent of normal matter, that's like an impossibly small fraction of that five percent. So really, absolutely, our neighborhood is really like barely anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the neighborhood thing really like that's something I learned from the last podcast is, you know, space neighborhoods and. It's so intriguing, a theory, like a thought to me. So yeah, a hundred percent. So if you think of that group and in the last episode, when you did research on the Andromeda galaxy, we learned Milky Way, Andromeda, and a handful of other galaxies are all in this neighborhood. Just think like that neighborhood, while it seems gigantic and massive and like, you know, tens of light years across. Um, I think you even said maybe it was like 50 light years across, although I can't really remember. It's that still is hardly it comprises hardly any of what the universe is made up of. It's like a fraction of this 5%. <laughs> it really puts things into perspective. <laughs> yes, that's wild. Um, so that basically is all we know with certainty of what is going on with dark energy. And the rest is a complete mystery. <laughs> um, and it's a really complicated mystery <laughs> because the increase in the rate of expansion wasn't there from the beginning. Um, that the the rate so I guess as I mentioned earlier the universe is about 13.7 13.8 billion years old the universe has obviously been expanding since the big bang because we went from all all matter all everything in a tiny pinprick like one millionth of the size of a grain of rice or something and expanded outward in in less time than it takes for you to blink your an eyeball Um, the universe went from everything being in one you know basically one one millionth of the size of a grain of rice into kind of the the early beginning size of the universe and everything has kind of expanded outward from there um but and it never fails to impress I mean I it loves to put on a show oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will I think we could do a whole other episode on just the big bang and even time because I think the big bang and the expansion of the universe is also closely linked to time and how we perceive it. And that would be a whole other cool topic to get into. It'd be an amazing topic. Really. Yeah, we'll add it to the, the list. For sure. <laughs> um, but basically, so, you know, the universe has been expanding since the Big Bang, but the rate of expansion was only very slightly increasing from kind of that initial early Big Bang point up until up through that first 6.2 billion years of the universe's life. Um, the expansion, the rate of expansion was only slowly increasing, but about seven and a half billion years ago, the rate of expansion suddenly began speeding up noticeably faster. So something was causing this increase and making objects, you know, fly apart more quickly. Um, space itself was obviously expanding, but the expansion was speeding up like crazy. <laughs> 
So let's take a look again at those three kind of main theories that I talked about of what could be behind what dark energy is. Yes. Um, yes. So the first one, Einstein um, originally developed a, his theory of gravity. Uh, well, a theory of gravity initially that um, included some properties of space that uh, got cut out of his later theory. But in this earlier theory of gravity, he really was the first person to even notice that empty space is not nothing. He noticed that it's possible for more space to come into existence. And that revelation explains normal expansion of the universe. So basically, when we talk about um, you know planets or stars moving farther away from us, they're really, it's not that they're moving away from us. It's that more, like more space is coming into being. That's mind boggling. It's really hard to articulate. It's like, if you were to blow up a balloon, take the deflated balloon and put a dot on the top end of it with a Sharpie and then blow the balloon up. The dot is now farther away from your mouth and the dot itself didn't move. It didn't jump off of the balloon. Just more balloon came into being between you and the dot. That's kind of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I can visualize that. That definitely is a good visual for it. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure out, right, like why the rate that we're blowing the balloon up is is changing. It's going to, getting faster and faster and faster. And Einstein was really basically saying like the balloon itself has properties that we need to pay attention to. Space itself has properties. And so his initial theory of gravity included this thing that he called a cosmological constant. And that basically predicted that empty space has its own energy. That energy as a property of space itself um, wouldn't be diluted or kind of watered down as space expanded. So when new space came into existence, more of that space energy, as he called it, would also come into existence and that could cause the expansion to get faster and faster. So that's one possibility. Does that affect time in any way or? So the time thing, um, not so much. I mean, our it would affect basically um, as we collect images using kind of advanced um, advanced instruments, like now we have the James Webb, um, what we would be able to see or collect, I guess, are better images of kind of those early, early timelines of space. So we could see images from three, 400,000 years post Big Bang. And that would tell us um, more about kind of this, the rate of expansion. Um, where time comes in is basically like how far, how far away something is from us, um, and how fast it's moving, how fast we're moving. Those things dilate time a little bit. Um, time dilation again could be a whole other episode, um, which maybe we should do that because it's one of my favorite <laughs> favorite it's science. Definitely topics. interesting. Yeah. Um. So the next possibility is that space is filled with some kind of energy fluid or a freaky field thing that fills all of space, but it would only affect the expansion of the universe and would not affect any kind of normal matter or normal energy. If that's true, though, we wouldn't know why it exists, what's causing it, or any properties of how it behaves or why it would interact with only the expansion of the universe and not anything else in the universe. So that one is not well understood or fleshed out, but it, it's possible that it's some kind of like energy fluid. Well, that's really interesting because then that, that that theory creates sort of a separateness in the universe. Yeah. And it, it feels a little more 
tangible. I personally, I don't know, this one seems a little less likely to me. I feel like the property of space expanding makes a lot of sense. Some kind of mysterious fluid, maybe not. It, it kind of toes the line with dark matter, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but it just seems like having some kind of energetic fluid, um, I, it just seems less likely to me than the constant. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> the third option is that Einstein got it wrong. <laughs> And uh, his theory of gravity is is wrong, and that would account for why we don't know how to explain this change in, in the rate of expansion of the universe. So that's possible, but it is tricky since Einstein did correctly describe the math behind how gravity works. And we see that all the time, even when we look at our solar system, we understand how our planets move. Uh, because Einstein's theory, it, it, it works out, it proves, um, we can prove that with uh, how our planets move in our solar system. So if Einstein got it wrong, I mean, that's, it's just difficult because we see that his theory of gravity is true. (laughs) So it would, whatever, if, if he is wrong, then some new theory would have to also account for the things that we, we see, um, based on his theory of gravity. So it's have to account for something he got right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like how, how could he have gotten, you know, 90% of it, right. (laughs) And do we really need to scrap the whole thing or should we just add on to it? So it's, it is true though, that he could be wrong and just have, he could have just lucked out, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically closing the chapter on dark energy, we basically just use that term to describe something mysterious that's causing space inflation to speed up, but we don't actually know if it's a property of empty space, some kind of mystery space fluid, or if Einstein totally messed up. Um, but kind of to your point, better data from space telescopes or other instruments could help us find an answer of what dark energy actually is. We just have to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll know in our lifetimes because it's very interesting. Yes. And you never know. <laughs> it seems like it will take a long time to figure out, but. Totally. And I guess know. the truth is there could be some fourth option. <laughs> you know, those are just the three most prevalent guesses of what's going on, but there could be something else beyond those three things. So it just, we need better data to figure out what is happening. Yeah. I, I also wonder about the implications of it. And, and like you said, in that theory, there's, there could be like a separateness, but, but I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Kind of interesting yeah. to deep dive in my head about yeah yeah it's pretty interesting but I think it it kind of helps to understand a little bit about what dark matter is so uh, you know I mentioned earlier the universe is 68 percent dark energy but 27 percent dark matter and only five percent normal matter so I think you know to understand is it is the property of space um is dark energy a property of space is it a fluid well dark matter is also there (laughs) Um, you know, rubbing shoulders with this dark energy. Um, And so this is part of why I don't think it's really some kind of space fluid. That to me seems a little closer to what dark matter is. Um, So I guess this is kind of a good segue. So let's talk about dark matter. What the heck is this? Like dark energy, we also don't know a ton about what dark matter is, um, but we do have a better sense of what dark matter is not. (laughs) So We call it dark matter because it's dark, meaning it is not light. It's not light or visible like stars or planets. So we really don't see it. It's literally dark and emits no light at all. Um, So 
that's the first clue we have about dark matter. The second clue, um, so I guess just taking a step back, when we talk about uh, subatomic particles like protons, neutrons, electrons, we lump all of those normal uh, particles together into a category that we call baryons. And baryon particles, as we know, come together and form not just stars and planets and stuff like that, but also these dark clouds. Um, and we call those baryonic clouds. We know that dark matter is not that. <laughs> it's not a baryonic cloud because not only do we know baryonic clouds are in fact normal matter, um, but we know that because we can detect the absorption, how these clouds absorb cosmic radiation, um, whereas radiation has zero impact on dark matter. Wow. So if you were to picture like a cloud of dark matter, if it were a baryonic cloud, you could see that cosmic radiation would, would be influenced by it. A bunch of the radiation would get absorbed by it if it were normal matter. But since it's not that, we're just starting to rule out basically like, okay, we know dark matter is not light. So it's probably not normal matter. We know dark matter doesn't interact with radiation. So again, it's probably not normal matter or baryonic clouds. So we're kind of going down the list. <laughs> That's good. It gives us a lot of, to know what it not, what it's not is actually good. So yeah, I think I agree. I think that's a good approach. Like let's compare it to the, the things that we've been able to observe in the normal matter realm and, and just, you know, categorize the way that it doesn't fit that. So while we still don't really have a good sense of what dark matter is, we're starting to get a better understanding of what it's not. Yeah. Process of elimination. Exactly. Yes. Um, so similar to, so we basically have come to a conclusion, dark matter is not normal matter. We also know that dark matter is not antimatter. So <laughs> antimatter, uh, are also subatomic particles that are also normal matter, but they contain the opposite charge of their like regular matter counterparts. So basically like a proton is, um, is matter, but an antiproton has the opposite charge of a proton and is called antimatter, but it is also a normal matter particle. Um, an electron similarly is a normal particle. A positron is the antimatter counterpart. So we know that dark matter is not antimatter because antimatter produces these unique gamma rays when it explodes with and cancels out its matter counterpart. And dark matter simply doesn't do that. Um, scientists can create antimatter in a laboratory setting, but they can't create dark matter. And we also see that antimatter is not dark matter because if the universe was filled with 27% antimatter, we would see a ton of explosions of antimatter <laughs> colliding with exploding and canceling out normal matter. And that's just, yeah, that might be a clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like, we definitely know that's not the case. We would see explosions <laughs> left and right. And that's just simply not what's going on in the universe. So we can cross antimatter off the list. <laughs> It's so interesting because it doesn't seem to mirror anything. Does it mirror anything that we know of? Um, so not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it kind of leads to the next deduction where like, it kind of looks like, you know, could there be a galaxy sized black hole? Because similar to a black hole, light is not interacting with it. You know, any kind, nothing on the EM spectrum is interacting with a black hole. So we're like, hey, maybe it's, Maybe it's a giant black hole and we just weren't looking at the right scale. That's also not the case though, because um, with a with a giant black hole, um, you would see what are called lensing events. That's basically like black hole, the high gravity of a black hole bends light around it. And that is also not really what's going on with dark matter. We're not seeing the number of lensing events that we would see if it was a gigantic, you know, black hole. So 
looks a lot like a black hole, behaves sort of like it, but not enough for us to think that's what's going on. So we're ruling that out. It's not the case. It's not a galaxy-sized black hole. That's so interesting. <laughs> so again, it's confusing because it's like behaves sort of like a baryonic cloud, but not really. It doesn't have the properties of one. Behaves kind of like a galaxy-sized black hole, kind of like antimatter properties, a little bit of each but enough property, like it, it doesn't exhibit properties of each that we we can cross these off the list. So there are though a few guesses out there of what dark matter could be. A few guesses, but the leading one is that dark matter is some kind of substance made up of exotic particles that um, haven't been demonstrated or proven or measured to be true yet. So there's some theoretical particles out there um, like these things, for example, called wimps, <laughs> which I think are oh, really wow. funny. <laughs> so <laughs> wimps are weakly interacting massive particles, basically like picture a gigantic proton, but that has a really weak charge and sort of just floats about and doesn't really, um, it doesn't really uh, create sort of the substance we're used to seeing in a proton. So there are other other exotic theoretical particles out there. And that really seems to be the best guess of what dark matter is. It's some kind of particle <laughs> that has weird properties and really, um, yeah, it's like, hasn't been measured or proven. And it is actually really hard to even detect dark matter in general. So how is it detected? Yes. So, um, we can only even tell it's there because dark matter does not interact with any electromagnetic force. So any frequencies, light, whatever, it doesn't interact with any of that. And so obviously that makes it extremely hard to measure or detect it since anything we could possibly throw at it won't interact with it. <laughs> so it's the it, introvert of the universe. <laughs> it's it's a, a ghost. <laughs> um, <laughs> it emits absolutely no light or energy. And since it's so hard to detect, scientists have truly only been able to infer it exists because of its gravitational effect on normal matter. So that's the only interaction it has with normal matter. So you really have to find normal matter somewhere in the universe that's near a big pile of <laughs> dark matter. And you can only infer that the dark matter is there if there's um, a gravitational effect on the normal matter and there's no black hole or other normal matter particles nearby. And that's the, that's the only way to infer it's there. That seems um, very hard to measure. It's extremely like, hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and this is kind of thrown a giant monkey wrench into a lot of measurements we've taken of the Milky Way galaxy. So up until 2019, so pretty recently, we thought the Milky Way galaxy was something like a hundred, um, hundred thousand light and no, wait, something very small because that was the observable normal matter we saw. And then scientists were like, oh, wait, there's an enormous amount of dark matter in the Milky Way galaxy, and it's actually closer to 2 million light years across. Um, but most of the Milky Way is made up of this dark matter. And we wow. didn't realize it was there because there's no way to actually detect or measure it. <laughs> yeah. And then I wonder, going back to what you said in the beginning, if it's changing measurements in space in a way. Yeah. So that's, so it kind of begs the question, like maybe this doesn't even exist, but scientists are like, you know, there's really only 5% of the universe is made up of normal visible matter, but we see more gravitational effects on that normal matter than could be caused by other normal matter. So that it introduced this other grouping of dark matter. Cause we're like something that we can't see that doesn't interact with any electromagnetic force has a gravitational impact on this normal matter. And that's the only way we knew it was even there or a thing. 
But that's pretty amazing, though. It's pretty amazing that we've come that far where we can observe things to, to that point. Yeah, I agree. It's this is it seems like truly a really nearly impossible problem to solve. Like, how do you measure something that we don't have instruments to measure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it, it forces you to kind of be creative, right? And think like, well, we can't measure it, but can we measure the impact it has on things that we can measure? And then <laughs> it's sort of like this roundabout way of, of showing that it's probably there. <laughs> well, it's like using uh, the universe as a mirror in a way, because even if you can't see it, you can see other things and you can use that as gauge and like a mirror. It's kind of, it's neat. Um, it is really interesting. And honestly, I mean, I feel like people who work on this problem are just absolute geniuses. What a hard <laughs> For <problem>. sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like it's kind of anticlimactic, but that's pretty much all we know about dark matter with any certainty. Um, it's nearly impossible to detect. Um, on the plus side, though, dark matter experiments are frequently talked about at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. So shout out to episode two, check it out if you <laughs> haven't already. Um, but maybe one of these days CERN can solve this mystery for us. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know. I think there's something like exotic about a mystery. There's something intoxicating about it. I think, you know, we're all drawn to it. So I don't know that it's necessarily unadventurous or anything like that. I think this would be a really interesting, I mean, it would, tell us a lot about, I mean, it would actually solve a lot of related mysteries about what's going on in the universe. And it would give us a ton of information about, um, you know, really the change in the rate of expansion from like right after the big bang till now. And, um, that has a lot of impact too, on the distribution of matter in the universe. Um, the distribution of, of dark energy and dark matter appears to be mainly constant across um like if we consider the universe globally it's like pretty constant which is also interesting um so yeah it, it just seems like if we can get any any insight from cern or even from the james webb space telescope hey shout out to episode one <laughs> go check that one out if you haven't <laughs> yes <laughs> but i feel like it's kind of connecting a lot of our past episodes too um this is sort of the uh sort of theme that that runs across all those other topics like james webb might be able to collect images that tell us more about the difference in the rate of expansion of the universe from Big Bang till now. And then CERN might be able to tell us what the heck dark matter is someday. So I feel like there's hope, hope on the horizon that we'll get answered. Well, if dark matter is some sort of connecting thread, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> if that turns out to be the case. Yes. <laughs> totally on accident, but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so those were kind of the main highlights of, you know, what is dark energy? What is dark matter in a nutshell? Um, basically, we don't know. <laughs> and I'm not surprised. <laughs> I think yeah. it's so informative, though. It's like a, like a shot of information. It's so good. Yeah. All right. So that pretty much wraps up what we know about dark energy and dark matter now, which is basically, we don't know what they are, <laughs> uh, but hopefully <laughs> more, more information will come soon. And Hey, if, you know, while we're running this podcast, if uh, any breaking news comes out, we'll be sure to prioritize that in an episode. But if you guys learn something new, let us know, comment on the podcast, um, you know, review and subscribe and follow us on Instagram. If you're not already, we would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Most definitely. 
yeah or any suggestions you guys might have about future topics that would be really fun too yeah drop us a line we want to know okay it's time for weird but true facts one of my favorite portions I love learning all this stuff so uh I'll start it off humans are the only animals that blush oh really wow when we're embarrassed or we're shy the veins in our face open us open up and cause our faces to get red that is so funny i am a crazy blusher so i guess instead of hating it i should uh think that hey we're i'm the only species on earth that can do this it's like a superpower it's, yeah it's a unique privilege <laughs> so funny. cool um let's see for fact number two Clouds you see in the sky might look light and fluffy, but they can weigh upward of a million pounds each. Wow. <laughs> that blows my mind. <laughs> it's with water. It's so airy. And plus they're like suspended in the sky. So I guess that's why sort of it's <laughs> interesting. Yep. <laughs> it's a paradox. <laughs> it is. Okay. So if you drew a line using one pencil continuously you could draw a line that was 35 miles long oh wow <laughs> in uh, case anyone ever needs to know that <laughs> for whatever pencils. reason yeah. coming in touch <laughs> yes <laughs> all right fact number four honey never goes bad i've heard this before but it's true it has antibacterial properties and a 5,000 year old jar of honey would still be safe to eat today that's I actually now would love to try a 5,000-year-old jar of honey. <laughs> Not saying it won't taste nasty, but it would be safe. <laughs> so the Eiffel Tower grows six inches in the summer, and that's because the heat makes the steel expand. So when it goes uh, back to cooler weather, then it returns to its normal size. Well, that is really interesting. It makes sense, but it's something like you would never really think about. Not at all. <laughs> Not at least it hasn't crossed my mind. Yeah, that's cool. Well, everyone, that is our show for today. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. You guys mean so much to us and we're having so much fun doing this. And like, like we said earlier, if you'd like to reach out to us and give us comments or suggestions, please feel free to do so. Yes, we would love that. Thanks for listening in, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Astrophiles. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at astrophiles underscore podcast, at Kimberly1985, and at Mickey Negus. We'll catch you next time, but until then, don't let gravity get you down.